text is from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Please be seated. It was 1999, Dallas, Texas, the Cotton Bowl, to be more specific, Texas versus Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry, one of college football's greatest games. I'm from Texas, you're from Minnesota, so I don't know if you know what college football is, but in the rest of the country, kind of a big deal. And some student assistants from the University of Texas were on the field before the game, and they saw a piece of paper. So they picked it up, they looked at it, and what it was, was Oklahoma's game script. Spelling out what plays Oklahoma would run. So they took it to the defensive coordinator, and he couldn't believe it. I mean, if you knew what plays the opposition was going to run, it would be cake. It would be too easy. Now, there was just one problem. It was a fake. (laughs) Oklahoma offensive coordinator Mike Leach, my favorite college football coach of all time, he left it there as a decoy. Texas fell for it. And Texas was losing 17-0 before they realized that they'd been had. The devil's tricky. Now, the good news for us is that we, in fact, do have his playbook laid bare in front of us today. Now, he saves his trickiest plays for Jesus, these three, and it's the same exact three trick plays, three temptations that he throws at the church. And the first way to beat the devil, you've got to understand what he is doing. And then the second thing is that once you understand it, is to fight back. And Jesus gives us the blueprint to do that. And so what we will do today is look at these three temptations. You can give them names. The first, you can call it the bread tummy temptation. The second, the holy temptation. And then third, the let's make a deal temptation. So first, the bread tummy temptation. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, it's important to always know where you are on the field. It affects everything that you do, and it's no different for these temptations because we're going to be in three different places for each of the temptations. So the first temptation takes place on the ground in the wilderness. Okay, the wilderness. It's the exact same place where Israel wandered for 40 years. It's the exact same place where Israel was tempted with bread. Okay, in the first place, Israel rebels against God and against Moses because they had no bread. And so they start complaining, start whining against God, saying, hey, God, we got no bread. It's better off if we are in Egypt, so let's just go back. So God sends bread, manna, except the temptation is not over. God gives very specific instructions concerning the manna. Hey, only collect enough for one day. I'm going to send more tomorrow. Well, what do they do? Well, they collect enough for, I don't know, multiple days. It's gross because they didn't listen to God, so the manna starts rotting, getting maggots. And then God tells them on Friday, hey, collect enough for two days because I'm not going to send any tomorrow because it's the Sabbath, and I want you to rest. Well, what do they do? Well, they only collect enough for one day, and they come out on Saturday like a bunch of dummies and say, hey, where's where's the manna? Okay? So the question here with Jesus in the wilderness and bread is, is Jesus going to succumb to the same temptation with regards to bread? Now, it's worth noting, bread in itself is not sinful. Okay, that's, not, that's not the sin. 
God provides the bread. He knows that you need it, and so he sends it. This temptation is the quintessential question. The question is, do you trust in God for all things? Do you actually believe that he will provide for you for all your needs of body, soul, and spirit, even when things look bad, even when things are desperate, even when you've been fasting for 40 days? Do you trust in him then? Do you believe that God's word is always enough? Now, the modern church might not be tempted to live by bread alone. Too many carbs. But we are tempted to live by bread, hot dish, soup suppers, public relations, and societies alone. And so here's how the devil rephrases the question to the church today. He says, hey, church, you're dying. So do something spectacular. Do something exciting rather than trusting in God's word and being faithful to him. Now, it's important to note that the premise is true. Okay? The church is dying. We shouldn't argue the fact. You ask anybody, ask any demographers, mission guys, love to tell you this. Hey, the church is dying. What's the one challenge we face? We're too old, 60% over 60. Okay? So the premise is true. The devil always premises his temptations with a little bit of truth. How did he premise the temptation to Jesus? If you are the son of God. That's true. Okay, Jesus is the son of God. The question is, now what do you do? Jesus, now what do you do that you are the son of God? Now, church, what do you do that you are dying? And so the temptation is this. Since we are dying, do we trust in God? Or do we give in, try to do something apart from the word of God. Stop, stop preaching against sin so much and salvation. It's kind of boring. Start exciting something. Start offering something exciting, like a new society or using corporate words like synergy. And the devil wants you to focus on getting fed at the potluck rather than getting fed the word of God. He wants us to focus on things like numbers, Sunday school numbers, you name it. Whatever else gets the world excited and we have to remember, here's the deal. We are dying, that's true. But if we are only fed bread, we will die eternally. But if we are fed the word of God, the bread of life, we may die, but we will live forever. And so when the devil tells us, hey, church, you're dying, you can say, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but our Lord knows his way out of a grave. Second temptation, the holy temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Okay, so we've moved from the wilderness on the ground. That's where the last temptation was. And now we're moving on top of the temple. So things are getting higher. And this is perhaps the trickiest of the temptations. And the reason is, is because the devil is using holy things to tempt our Lord. So he takes him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, on top of the holy temple. And what does the devil quote? The holy Bible. And he tempts Jesus with holy angels. Okay, Four holy things that the devil is throwing in Jesus' face. And this is exactly what Jesus desires. Jesus desires holiness. 
This is why this temptation is, in fact, so tricky. The devil clothes evil with holy things. He uses your moral and religious urges against you. Such a tricky little bugger. And what he is trying to do is he is trying to separate holy things from the Holy One. Because all of these things are good, okay? The Holy City, the Holy Temple, the Holy Bible, the Holy Angels, they're all good. They're all gifts from God. But he's trying to get you to trust in them for their own sake, apart from God. He will try to get you to trust in your congregation, your synod, your pastor, even your family, for their own sake. All holy things, but not holy, apart from God, who alone is the Holy One. Now, the modern-day church might not be tempted to jump off buildings. I've yet to meet a soul who has told me, hey, I belong to Trinity Lutheran Church, therefore I can jump off buildings with impunity. <laughs> okay, we're not faced with that temptation, but the temptation for us is to think that since we are preoccupied with holy things, we can afford to neglect the Holy One. It is easier to get somebody to climb on top of the church roof than it is to get them to climb into the pews to hear the word of God. And here's what it means. It's easier to get somebody to volunteer for anything for the church. This happened all the time on Vicarage. You get somebody to volunteer for a funeral, and you see them, and you never see them on Sunday. You get them to volunteer to clean the church, to work on the garden, but then you say, hey, come hear the word of God in church. Crickets. And this is exactly how the devil likes it. The devil is most active with church members. Why would he waste his time on people who are already enlisted in his army. And what he tries to do with this temptation, it's a subtle shift, but it's a shift of faith. So instead of trusting in God alone, people start trusting in their congregation. And he's been laying the foundation for decades, and what happens, you see this all the time, is all hell breaks loose in a congregation because people started worshiping the building or the congregation rather than God. Which brings us to the last temptation, the let's make a deal. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Okay, so we started in the wilderness. We went to the pinnacle of the temple. And now we are on a very high mountain. The stakes have never been higher. And the devil hasn't gotten Jesus to fall two times now, so now the devil is ready to make a bargain. And the devil knows what Jesus wants. Jesus came to this earth to purchase it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. And a man found that treasure. And when you're buying a field, you can't say, hey, I want this two-by-two two area in the field. You can't split it up. Okay, it's you either buy the whole field or you get nothing. And so Jesus has to buy the entire field. He has to buy the entire earth to get his treasure, the earth. Jesus overpays. God always overpays. Jesus pays with his blood. And the devil knows this is how the transaction works. So, Jesus, I'm going to make you a bargain. I know what you want. You want the earth. Okay, I'll give it to you. That's fine. And you don't even have to shed your precious blood. You'll always get what you wanted. And the price pretty good bargain. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Heck, you don't even have to mean it. Just bend the knee. Just one small act of worship to get what you've always wanted. 
And imagine what Jesus could have done if he had all the world's kingdoms at his command. He could really get out the message then, couldn't he? <laughs> Utilize Caesar and his network to preach that message, although it would be devoid of any content and meaning. I mean, at least people would believe in something, I guess. And I dare say that if Jesus had a board of elders who only cared about the bottom line, they would tell him to take this deal. The temptation is the ends justify the means. And so Satan tempts us. Hey, who cares how you do it? Just grow the church, even if it means worshiping me. And don't kid yourself. It is an alluring temptation because that's exactly what we want. We want to grow the church. But the warning is this, my friends. If we use carnal means to grow the church, we will attract carnal men. And then we will cease to be the church. The cross is the only way. It's the only way for Jesus. And it's the only way for us. The devil might leave Jesus after this temptation. But he was going to constantly throw this bargain in his face. Up until his dying breath. What does the crowd say to Jesus on the cross? They say, hey, get down from that cross. And they even have the gall to say, if you come down, we will believe in you. It's a lie. But that's what the devil does. He will try to get you to give up your cross. He will point out all the inconveniences of being a Christian. It's not easy. Look how heavy that thing is. Just give it up. Your life will be so much easier. Satan might have different tricks, bamboozles, hoodwinks, temptations, whatever. But the goal is always the same. To get you to give up the cross. And this is what the devil is always trying to overwhelm Jesus with. This is what all the temptations are really about. Trying to get Jesus to give up the cross. But we should be encouraged because the crowd says to Jesus on the cross, get down from there. And Jesus, in essence, says, over my dead body. Because our Lord is victorious on the cross. He purchased us with his blood. He did not give in. He knew this was the only way. He had to die. And his victory is indeed our victory. And so pick up your cross and follow Jesus. It's going to be hard, but Jesus gives us the blueprint on how to defeat Satan. Three things. One, live on the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Two, trust in God and trust in him alone. Do not test him. And three, worship and serve God alone. And when it gets too much to bear... When it is too burdensome, listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Please stand.